All right. We'll pick it up. See, this <clears throat> part about editing, right? This never happened. Last part that cut off on was when you, you were about to say, it's difficult to articulate. <laughs> I didn't say it like that. <laughs> wow. Welcome, animation fans, to our Animate podcast. We are at episode 15 now. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and joining me tonight is Rick Arroyo. How you doing, Rick? I'm doing awesome. How you doing, Larry? I'm doing fantastic, bud. Doing really well. We've got some cool news and some great guests tonight. We've got Cameron Fielding, who's currently working over at Valve, who's worked over at DreamWorks beforehand. And so I think we're going to have a nice little conversation with him in regards to his work with feature and video games. And we also have David Hubert, who's going to be joining us as well, who's got a very similar background in regards to uh, working in feature and now over at games, over at IDOS. So I think it's going to be a really cool interview with these guys. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. They're both fantastic guys. Um, one other thing you mentioned, and maybe we'll get to talk with David a little bit more tonight when we do our interview with him, but just quickly, um, new games workshop. You want to tell us just briefly about that? Oh yeah, uh, Dave and I have been working on this workshop, which is focused on creatures and monsters and like flying beasts. I'm going to let Dave talk a little bit more about it, because this podcast we're going to do is going to be uh, phenomenal. So uh, yeah, it's going to be an awesome workshop. Very cool. All right, well, let's bring those guys on. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Yeah, no worries. It's a pleasure, man. Awesome. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Well, we're going to go through some introductions here. Uh, Cameron, let's start with you. Hey guys, I'm Cameron Fielding. I'm currently an animator at uh, Valve Software in Bellevue. Did feature animation for a while, did game animation, um, talking to iAnimate, good stuff, good times. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> David, why don't you give a quick intro for you? I know you've been, we've had you on a podcast before, but in case someone's catching this one for the first time. Um, yeah, I'm uh, currently um, animation and cinematic director at the ADOS Montreal. I worked at DreamWorks for a few years. Uh, my last production there was on the Crudes, uh, so some experience in gaming and uh, feature animation as well. And I'm um, with Rick, which is my partner in crime for I Made Games, so we're kind of managing this stuff on awesome. the side as well. This should be a really good podcast for us then, because particularly with you guys kind of bridging the gap between both feature and games, so I think it'll be yeah, cool for sure. to touch on a lot of that stuff. And then we for got sure. my buddy Rick Arroyo here. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. As I like how everyone calls me the partner in crime. So I'm like, I guess some like mobster, uh, animation mobster or something. But I love it. So, let me just pull out the gold chain for you guys just to make it, make it official. Yeah. Oh, there he goes. Oh, you have the bling bling out. Right. <laughs> Cameron, how did you get into animation in the first place? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I just kind of stumbled on it, really. I mean, I remember... When I was a kid, I, I was never kind of crazy into cartoons or comics or anything like that, surprisingly enough. I always liked, you know, E.T. and Indiana Jones and aliens and that kind of stuff and creatures and monsters. And I guess for me, it was just kind of like the spectacle of the screen that I really liked and, and animation and movement and that kind of thing. But I didn't really know when I was young what I was looking at. I guess the way I got into animation, I, I did a degree, believe it or not, in graphic design. Seeing as it was a bunch of years ago now, it, it they, they kind of didn't have, you know, the this, this specific kind of animation courses that they have these days. And surprisingly enough, we were allowed to kind of specialize in animation for the final final year of that degree. And I did a short film and stuff like that. And 
it did pretty well and I was I was able to kind of get a job off the back of the film and in, in games so I was kind of lucky like you know I just kind of fell out of college straight into a games job and it was just a good start for me and turned out good where was that at it was a, a small little uh, developer called Warthog Games it was in Manchester in the UK um, and I started on um, just a super small little game it was kind of a it wasn't a movie time, but it was a, you know like an IP time for Animaniacs. Uh, it, it was cool. It was like super cartoony and you know cyclic game animation. It was like the perfect thing to learn. You know, it was great. It was really good fun. Awesome. Yeah. Now, one of the things I think you're probably most well known for is your uh, Turok show reel. I remember seeing that sometime <laughs> back before I even actually met you at CTN. And that yeah, thing yeah. is killer. I love just the body mechanics on that thing alone is just amazing. Now, how long before you got into that gig? Yeah, it was a while. I mean, we started development on Torak in maybe kind of mid-2005, early 2006. How long had you been animating before that? Mm, about five years, four okay. or five, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, not not too soon. It was. It took a while to kind of get the opportunity more than anything to do that kind of stuff because that you know that's what I in the back of my mind what I was kind of always wanting to do up until that point was to do monsters and like dinosaurs specifically man you know I, Jurassic Park fanboy and all that <laughs> stuff like, I always I always wanted to have a go at doing that stuff now um, how'd you learn uh, how'd you get that solid on your body mechanics was there anything that you kind of particularly worked on or practiced with or I know I remember listening to something from Richard Lico one time, and he was just talking about studying, um, uh, studying mo -cap. Yeah, mo -cap. Yeah, and that just yeah, his body mechanics. What about you? Yeah, I, I wish I'd had that opportunity. The same as it's funny actually. I'm doing um, right now at, at Valve. I'm doing some mocap stuff, and just you know, it, kind of with hindsight, listening to what Rick was saying about that before, it's it's so good for that stuff. You know, looking at the looking at the motion that you wouldn't necessarily expect and i don't know it's, it's crazy useful as a learning tool in that way um but i don't know for for the Turok stuff it was just it's it's difficult to articulate because i do i do feel like you know when i was doing the Turok stuff i i didn't really know what my workflow was other than just to kind of stumble through the work after having you know, a, a kind of a clear idea of what I wanted to do in my mind and just shooting for that in my mind. And just, you know, as, as I worked through the shot and allowed it to develop, my vision for it would change as well. But, I mean, it's not really much use to people listening. I, I guess ultimately it was a, a layered approach to animation and it was just figuring out the driving forces, whether it was, you know, the head of a dinosaur or like the head and the chest of uh the kind of lizardy creature and just getting the timing and the, the rhythm and the staging right on those main bits where I felt people would be looking. Um, and then just layering through it, like for a quadruped, you know, do the, the, the head, the head, neck, chest and the front legs first and get all that feeling really good. And then kind of bolt on the back legs after and bolt on the tail and the wings or whatever after that. Is that because um, those would be the overlapping actions or the... Some of that, Larry, yeah, but... Also, because you know, if you if you're doing a creep, particularly a quadruped, it's just too much. It's too much to think about. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go through and try and put keyframes, it's, it's a, that's a great thing to do. But uh, generally, if you're trying to if you've got a shot where something's climbing over something or doing whatever, and there's a lot of locomotion, trying to preemptively figure out all the foot plants and everything is 
is, is not only is it difficult, but it might stifle the sense of it too. You know, it's easier to go through and just concentrate on one thing at a time and get that to feel nice and then layer things and you generally get a better result. Like, I, I, you know, I say that when I did the Turok stuff, my workflow was kind of in flux. I didn't, it was difficult for me to nail down exactly how I worked, but I think I would still, having learned different ways of animating since then, I would still do it the same way because it, there's a result that you get from that kind of workflow that's kind of interesting and, and lends itself really well to that kind of movement. Yeah. It felt very, what's the word I'm looking for? Energetic. It felt like there was a lot of movement in the, in regards to, uh, or chaotic movement. And I like that about that but shot. Maybe, uh, cheers, cheers. Though. I mean, maybe what that is, is just a product of kind of only thinking about one thing at a time. You know, if I, if I'd sat down and was like, okay, I'm going to think about every little thing on how this little foot moves and then how the back hip moves and everything. It, it wouldn't look like that. You know what I mean? It's, it comes from just trying to simplify everything by just thinking about what's most important at that particular point in time. And then at the end of it, you just get this huge mashup and that, that kind of energy is what comes from that. And that's, that's, that's one of the good things about working that way for that kind of stuff. Very cool. And I would definitely want to talk into some more about creatures because I know David, you had hit some creatures with uh crudes, right? Yeah, actually, I had the uh, opportunity when I started to work on, on the crudes. It was Fred Nielsen, a good friend of mine, who was the um, creature uh, supervisor on the crudes. Um, and a good friend of mine as well. And when I got there, I got the, the opportunity to do some animation tests with some of the creature. It was in pre-production. And although I never really had any experience with creature animation, I think uh, I've been able to, uh, it kind of clicked very rapidly with the creature that I had to, to work with. And at some point, you know, um, Fred uh, had to do and work on DreamWorks' new animation software because he's most probably the, 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 the most technical animator that we had uh, out there. And when he left, uh, I had the opportunity to take his place and for, uh, as a character lead for, for all the creatures. It was a really, really big challenge, but it was very interesting at the same time because uh, I don't know how many we had, but we had at least 20 different creatures on the crew. And some of them will appear, uh, appear for the entire movie. Some of those will just be there for one or two shots. So there was a crazy, crazy amount of uh, kind of pre-production. Uh, to do with all those creatures and sometimes you know you would have like one week to animate a creature that you would not see for the rest of the movie so literally the first day was to figure out what what is the backstory of this creature what is going to make it interesting then just do a few tests real quick and then you know animate the shot make it interesting uh, entertaining as well and moving forward and you know, uh, a lot of time our training is really to do character animation and then you get to creature and you're like, okay, well, I still have all the all of this uh, baggage I have with me as an animator is going to obviously help me to animate those creatures. But there's a lot of things that I didn't figure out so, so far. And that's why I think it's really interesting what Cameron was saying. Uh, a lot of time, this is when uh, the layering technique of animation comes very handy because it's uh, I run into exactly the same problem. Uh, at first, I really tried to go pose to pose and figure out exactly what was going on. But it seems that at least for me, 
there has been a lot of you know happy accident as I was animating the, those creatures and you thought that just appear in front of me I was like oh if I just deal with the energy yeah, of yeah. the creature first as just with the body and then okay I'm going to make sure that the front leg are working correctly and is this uh, creature is really uh, going to lead with the head or is it going to drag a little bit and all of that stuff sometimes if you're trying to overthink uh, you know you're brain is just overeating with the amount of information that you have to especially when you have four legs and wings and and, and a tail and, and and all of that stuff uh, so i kind of use a little bit it was a little bit of pose to pose just to uh, just for my blocking to make sure that you know uh, james Baxter, which was the um, animation director and chris sanders were happy with the you know the very early result of what i was trying to tell the audience with that creature but very rapidly i was jumping in uh, layering just to be able to rapidly move and have this very organic and dynamic feeling for most of those creatures yeah. dave's just got me super interested now so so Dave, when you um, you know, when you you were showing this stuff to James and to to Chris and everything, and you you're going through and you're doing you're blocking basically, yeah. seeing this benefit of working in this nice layered way where you get these kind of cool happy accidents and stuff like that, did you find that you know it was it was a good kind of workflow for you to show these keys to James and Chris, and then did you find that? They changed a lot, you know, as you kind of worked through, pushed the shot towards final, or did you? Were you in that? You, I mean, you must have somewhat been in that situation where you're like, okay, I've shown these keys, I've spent kind of a decent amount of time on these keys. I want to try and hit them as goalposts, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, the big advantage to really work on those uh, goalposts and work uh, in blocking with just in step blocking that you're able to to just block you know four five six poses in there yeah. uh, it kind of forced you to be able to sell an idea uh, yeah. just with one image and this is still very powerful to to be able to yeah. hit those specific moments uh, it helps you to kind of focus on what is important uh, what is the timing of the shot that you, you're trying to mm -hmm. achieve? And it's something that you can do pretty rapidly. And, you know, uh, supervisors, directors, and uh, most yeah. of the time prefer to see something really early on rather than see something that is almost final. And then yeah. the, they're like, yeah, okay, they're, they're not, um, um, they feel that if they give comments now, it's almost like they're yeah, totally yeah. breaking your animation yeah, compared yeah. to just having a few <laughs> poses. And they're like, oh, it's amazing, but I think you could do this and this. And they, um, yeah. they feel much more creative as they're giving you their, their comments. Um, but when this blocking w would be approved, uh, I, I might put a little more posing in there, maybe some breakdown posing and whatnot. Uh, yeah. But as soon as I was going in, in uh, layering, it's almost like I was for forgetting those poses. Yeah. Okay. Most of the time, I would say maybe... 80% of those poses would remain there, but yeah. sometimes they would be a little bit different because yeah, of yeah. the momentum of how the creature arrives there yeah. or how it jumps yeah. to be. So it's almost like a very good guideline to work yeah. with. Um, and then not, it, it doesn't matter if I was always hitting those specific poses at this specific moment because yeah. I knew that 80% was close enough for yeah. what I was trying to achieve. But it was definitely for me a, a, a mix of, uh, of both techniques. Yeah. And... Although in character animation, I would be much more organized uh, mm -hmm. for creature animation. And maybe it was because there were so many different creatures. And, you know, I'm not an expert uh, at how snakes are moving, how birds are moving, how uh, dinosaurs are moving, and, and all of that. A lot has to be figured out. And a, a lot as well is not... Um, 
it, it wasn't like I, uh, I was planning everything. A lot of time I was just surprised by, oh, I did this is actually yeah, yeah. pretty interesting. And I was yeah, kind yeah. of feeding off the, this thing that I didn't, I kind of yeah. planned a little bit, but not really. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then I was yeah. just going in a very, very intuitive way yeah. at the end of the day. So, and, and I think a lot of time, and this is something I, uh, I felt was very, um, you know, creature animation for me was much more forgiving than character animation because character mm -hmm. animation we have people around us we know exactly how the the, the, the face should be moving the lip sync yeah, yeah. Uh, the weight shift and all of that creature animation especially on crudes um it wasn't really okay this is a giraffe this is an elephant this is a dog no the, the, those were creature you know invented creature mm -hmm. the, the first creature i did my test with was actually a, a turkey fish so it's a mix of a prehistoric <laughs> turkey with a fish but it's actually looked like a, yeah. um, a giant Tyrannosaur or something like that. Uh, so, so you know, those kind of creatures are much more forgiving. People won't be, yeah, this is not exactly how a turkey fish would be moving. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm going to do something that, that that looks appealing and entertaining and people will be satisfied. So that was yeah. kind of, and it, it went really well with a very naive uh, approach to, to animation for those creatures. Yeah, wow, man. Now, for both of you guys here on a shot like that with creatures, particularly something like that, for even both of you guys with dinosaurs or creatures that are made up in that regards, how do you approach your workflow with that? Do you do reference as far as other animals that might be similar to that? Or, you, or is this just strictly off of imagination and now trying to make sure you're getting the right weight and balance for this character? Yeah, there's always a little bit of that. You know, if, you, if you're doing a dinosaur, if you're doing a T-Rex or whatever, you might want to I mean, you know, it's always good to look at what's been done before and try and see what was successful about those things, as well as looking at realistic stuff. So, I mean, you know, when before I started doing any dinosaur stuff, you know, I, I looked at Jurassic Park, I looked at some of the good shots in there and there, you know, there are some there are some brilliantly animated shots in that film. You know, they're so they're so well done and. And it was just interesting because that was the first time it was done in that way into that fashion. And I, you know, I believe to that degree of success. So it's always good to, it's always good to look at what's been done before if there's something similar and see what was good, what worked, what didn't work about it and try and take what you can about what was good. And then obviously, you know, as much as you can just spend a bit of time just going on YouTube or whatever, you know, whatever things you have to look at for creatures and, and and it's not even like you would need to get a creature that kind of is a, of a similar uh, body type or anything. It's just kind of getting a, a feel for cre for animals and, and movement and the kind of it's more about behavior as well. Sometimes, you know, you might, you know, there's no reason why if you're doing, I don't know, Dave's turkey fish monster or whatever that you, you know, you might you don't necessarily need to look at fish and turkeys. I mean, you're going to do that, but you'd also you know, looking at monkeys and I don't know, all kinds of animals are going to give you ideas and give you little ideas about how to do it. But, but specifically to one shot, I think it's more a case of just getting a feel for it and then just like diving in and having fun. I think there's, there's two kinds of creatures, right? You've got the super ultra hard shots, which I was going to say luckily, but maybe not. I've, you know, I, haven't had the I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to work on like a, you know, like a. I can imagine, you know, a super realistic lion shot or something like that would be so difficult to do. 
and yet you know when you when you have a, a unique creature what you're trying to do is show show the audience especially with stuff like dave was doing you know new new creature designs you're trying to show them something that they haven't experienced before so you've got this beautiful blank canvas and you know you're just trying to get a feeling of you're trying to evaluate what if, if i was in the theater watching this and in the movie with my buddy or whatever what what would I want to experience and what would I want want this thing to move like? And it and it's that that instinct that you need to nurture because that's what you'll you'll do well. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. David. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that uh, Cameron, you mentioned uh, Jurassic Park a few times because I know that personally for me, if it wasn't for Jurassic Park and Toy Story, I would most probably not be in 3D animation. Right yeah, now, yeah. It seems that the work that I've done on the crude was the perfect mix between those two, you know, Jurassic Park being very kind of realistic in the animation style and yeah. Toy Story being much more cartoony. Um, for me, our approach, if each of the creature, my first question was always, how do I make this creature unique? And, you know, this is very, uh, um, uh, it is just for, for crews, because uh, like Cameron said, if you have to animate a lion, well, you might make a lot of research on how lions are moving. But since those were all, you know, uh, new creatures that didn't re really exist, um, my first question was, what makes them unique? So I would ask Mike, okay, I have a, a turkey fish, which was the, the first creature I worked on. So what is the background of this creature? Okay, it was most probably a fish before, and he's on the verge of becoming a turkey but he's not totally there. So he has a tail and still has um, turkey legs. So, okay, he's gonna swim. Uh, he's very agile at swimming. So I did something that he was swimming and getting out of the water because for me it was kind of representing where that specific species was um, at that moment. So, okay, he's in the water, he's getting out, but as he's getting out, since he's still more agile in the water, as he was getting out, he was kind of stumbling and that was uh, right away giving a very, uh, kind of clown feeling, very fu funny feeling to it, just slipping around in this super massive and big creature, but is, you know, has a, a, a very hard time to, to walk on land. Uh, and at the same time, which is a very mean predator. So do you have this contrast between being very clumsy, but still being scary predator, um, having a tail and using your legs? So that was a little bit uh, my approach. So as soon as I was establishing, you know, okay, this cr this creature, this is what is going to make it unique. So this, this, and this. And then I would go and dive into, you know, uh, YouTube, BBC Motion Gallery, and find as much uh, locomotion material as I could. And exactly like Cameron mentioned, not, not only fish and turkey, but all kind of uh, creatures and the most important thing that, that you said Cameron and it's right it's uh, it's the behaviors of creature you know uh, when a dog is wet he will move his body in one certain way which is very specific to dogs how to get the water out of them uh, when yeah. I don't know cat or cleaning themselves you know there's a very specific way that only cats do it this way and once you you begin to mix you take one behavior from one animal and you put it in another animal and this is when you have some very funny situation uh, and you know you always want to entertain the audience as well uh, so you know what what is the, uh, the 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 creature i'm working with what are the those behaviors uh, do we do we want to make them funny or you know scary and all of that and then after that make sure that i had enough knowledge uh, of um, anatomy and locomotion as well with as much reference uh, as I can. And starting, that was really my starting point. 
and then I was going into blocking a few poses and layering and onto the, the final product. So that was a little bit my, my own workflow that I kind of figure out on, uh, on the crudes. Uh, I, I think for the specific thing, uh, creatures on crude, it was uh, pretty, pretty successful. So you would just start me. blocking out some poses that you had in your mind. Would you thumbnail anything out or you just, hey, these are some of the, the thoughts I have yeah. in my mind and how this thing would move or the poses that would be to be there and just kind of start roughly blocking those out? Yeah, my, my drawing skills are really, really limited. So I would <laughs> very might very rapidly thumbnail some stuff, but then uh, I would get depressed and go right away into the, the 2D <laughs> software instead. And again, uh, all of my posing was very influenced by, um, well, locomotion itself, you know, where my creature is coming from and where is it going? Yeah. Uh, what is the personality that I want to achieve? So uh, does he look proud? Does he look, uh, you know, ashamed or uh, all the guys? Uh, so pretty much the same thing we would do with, with a character and always some pose that represent the creature itself and the moment and what I want to sell to, to the audience and the timing a little bit and the staging because, you know, uh, staging is always uh, really important, especially when you have a lot of motion with creatures, you know, where do you want the audience to look at? Uh, there's a way to do some posing that would guide the eyes there. Uh, and you will do one motion because you know that you want the eyes of the audience to go in the other way and look at the other creature. So this is all stuff. So the personality, um, the uh, dynamic of the posing and the staging as well. This is pretty much what I had in mind when I was doing the, the posing, then get this approved and move in layering to, to have this very visceral and uh, entertaining motion on top of that. The reason why I guess I'm asking that too is because you know we've had Jacob Garner and Ben Willis in on a podcast in regards to Rise of the Guardians and talking about how heavy references played and rolled on that film. And I, I love reference. I love how we're able to use it. But one of the things that you guys are kind of mentioning in regards to creatures, at least specifically, is a portion of animation that I really like that I think you can kind of tend to miss when you use so much reference. And it's like you're saying there, those happy accents, that, that ability to be able to just kind of jump into the 3D application, start making some poses, and let that kind of momentum drive you in, your, in regards to your animation, where it feels a little bit more organic sometimes in that regards. Do you guys feel that that's the case sometimes with this approach? Yeah, I think it really depends on the show that you're on. Because uh, uh, for uh, Jacob and Ben, for instance, they were uh, on Guardian, which still has a pretty realistic look. Uh, and they wanted to be very accurate with, with the acting and stuff. So it kind of makes sense to really rely heavily on, on reference. On a show on Cruise, which was a little bit the same thing as uh, Kung Fu Panda as well, um, you have your reference. And, your, and, and for me personally, I would look at them and really analyze uh, what is uh, uh, how is the locomotion working and why it, it's working well, and then would we'll just absorb this information. And when I had it in my mind, I would just go and animate. And then, if at some point at the end, close to the the, the, the refinement of my shot, there's some specific part that I was like, I don't know, it feels that it's a little off. I might go back to my reference and go frame by frame to understand exactly what is missing there. And then, oh, okay, I understand. Now I put a reference on the side and I just add this new micro knowledge on my shot and then I would be happy. So it was not exactly the same process as Ben and uh, Jacob were, were mentioning. But I'm really interested to to know about uh, Cameron, your, your your shot you did for Turok, how much video reference you had in that. And I was especially amazed at the uh, the the very accurate and entertaining relation between the the warrior and the uh, the dinosaur itself, and obviously yeah. you didn't have 
any you know not any reference but you, you know you didn't have a <laughs> well, dinosaur with you to be yeah. able to achieve that so well yeah i mean it's funny i mean i coming back to what you were saying larry i i mean i love reference i think that there's there's not there's no better thing you can do than research what it is you're trying to do right the, the worst thing you can do is just assume that you know how to do something that you know you you want to you want to do some kind of research and get an understanding of what you're trying to do even if even if you think you know how to do it but um and so i mean reference for me was something that i started doing because i didn't know how to do it any other way like i like particularly when i, I first was at dreamworks you know and i'm, I'm getting car shots where characters got to act to certain beats and you know certain performances that are required for the shot and to be honest with you it's not something that i could just make up in my mind like i like like was much easier with the creature stuff um and it and it was the same with the creature stuff i mean i i shot reference for myself interacting with this kind of you know imaginary dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> and and the and the way I did that is I I you know I think in my mind right I know what I want roughly the staging to be what the camera's gonna do and I want I know what the beats of the shot are gonna be like the plot of the shot was gonna happen and I and I would literally just get a cushion or whatever film myself doing it and I remember doing it in kind of this panicky kind of way like I get up in the morning and I. I'd say I'd say to my wife, I've got to, I've got to shoot some reference, I've got to shoot some reference quickly, and I'd set up the <laughs> I'd set up the webcam, <laughs> and I'd like do it I'd do it in the lounge, and I'd get a couple of takes. And there was something nice about that because it, because I kind of had to do it fast. I just had to just make a decision quickly and just kind of get into it, and just make a choice. Um, I found that um, doing reference for shots at DreamWorks sometimes the process was really like. I was always happy at the end when I had my reference, but sometimes I found the process quite like really quite tiring because I'd spend a lot of time doing it because I'll, basically what I'm doing in that time is figuring out what I'm doing in shot. I mean, I I almost wouldn't do any planning for, for a shot other than just launching it and seeing what's what, what's needed in the shot technically and, and story-wise. And then I'd kind of, plan very loosely what the staging of the shot is so where characters need to be and where they need to go and then outside of that i would just stick the camera on and i would just start mouthing the shot and, and doing it and seeing what happens um you know and I, i'd do that for half an hour or like 40 minutes and then i'd go through and i'd find takes and chop stuff together but um yeah and the, the, the tour stuff was the human stuff was totally referenced and then it was a case of getting the human to about 70% and then I would literally just kind of bolt on the dinosaur I would kind of see you know the bits of the dinosaur that are leading the motion and that are interacting the most with the human and I'd get those pretty far and then like I said before I just kind of bolt on the back legs bolt on the tails um yeah reference is great because it just it's it's not about um it's you know reference isn't about kind of showing you how to do something right it's about giving you an idea that you wouldn't otherwise have thought of. And that, that's what's critical with animation because you want to give people, a, you know, a new experience that they can em that they can also empathize with. And you're way more likely to do that if you just kind of don't be afraid to look stupid if someone 
got busts in on you whilst you recorded some reference or something. <laughs> Thrashing around yeah. a pillow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember when, when, when I... Yeah, when I got a DreamWorks, I remember that I, I wasn't really using uh, video reference. Uh, and I think it was pretty much at, at the time at the end of Kung Fu Panda that some animators at DreamWorks started to use more and more video reference. Um, and I remember seeing a few uh, a few shots, including some work that Cameron did on How to Train Your Dragon uh, with Stoic and some shot that Dave Pate did on uh, Shrek and uh, Pierre Perifel and uh, Olivier Stafilas as well, just to name a few animators. And you could really see the difference. You know, some shots were um, uh, from other animators that were not using reference. They were really good and really entertaining, but then you would see same quality of animators, but using a reference, they were like, whoa, the uh, the acting is so accurate. There's a little something that, that I connect with a little more than any other animation. And then, and at the time, I remember going frame by frame to uh, one of Cameron's animation, and I I was about to, you know, ju- just surrender, just retire, and like, <laughs> okay, I'll never be able to, my, my brain is not, you know, strong enough to come out with this idea. And then that's when someone told me, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he, he's amazing, but he's using reference. I was like, ah, right. And it kind of clicked at some point. And at first, you just have to pass the, the, um, yeah, you kind of have the feeling that yeah, but isn't using reference kind of cheating a little bit? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you very <laughs> rapidly realize that you know the audience really doesn't care if you used a reference or not. They're just going to see the end result. Are they entertained? Uh, are you really touching the 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 audience? Uh, so very rapidly, I started to use more and more reference as well. And like Cameron said, first of all, it's a a lot of time you you just cannot plan everything. You just try a few things, you act it out in front of the camera. If you have a, a shot with two characters, you just bring one of your animation bodies and you start to feed off from each other's kind of improvisation. And then the magic just appears in, in the front of the lens. And then you kind of synthesize this as, oh, this is working really well. I can match this with this. And you kind of create a great performance because you know we're not all trained actors so so sometimes we need to oh i did a great little piece of performance here and another one here another one here and we kind of frankenstein some kind of performance and even some animators would would do those little editing of all those performance and redo a performance that is hitting all those specific mark uh, i know that uh, another good friend of my uh, laura um was uh, doing that uh, uh, on Puss in Boots, and it was very, very successful as a technique for, to, for having great results. So, and honestly, when you add a video reference to your toolkit of animators, you, you're you you don't go back. Then it's a matter of using in a clever way. Because if you use it too much, um, you, we could argue that well, why not just using motion capture? That will be much more effective. Um, but uh, if you're able to capture the essence of a, a reference and then apply graphic rules and timing on top of that, you can really achieve great entertain- entertainment that the audience is going to connect with. And it's going to take you much less time than if you're really trying to figure out uh, uh, all of this on your own as well. So, yeah, definitely a, a tool to to keep for sure. Yeah, we had a, a podcast with uh, Jason Ryan and Mike Walling. We're talking about reference and the use of it. And one of the things I love watching Jason in our weekly demos that he does is how he uses reference. Because there's been times where I've shown him my shots and he'll he'll talk about, okay, well, let's, let's not do this here. And I'm like, but it was in my reference. And he's like, yeah, I know, but we're trying to make it more entertaining than just your reference. But there's things that he'll look at the reference and use it 
even if it's just a starting off point or, or a portion of his reference that he'll use. So he's not using it for a one-to-one, but it's like you're saying there, he uses him for ideas or little sparks that he sees in his reference there. And that's where he's getting that entertainment value there. So um, I definitely think it's a nice balance, I guess. I, I like the idea of using reference, but I also like some of the stuff you guys are talking about where it's using it as a springboard to now start trying to animate more and be creative in that regards. So. Yeah. And I would say that especially for creatures, we're talking about behaviors before, you know, there's some behaviors that I had no idea that were uh, actually happening in yeah. animals and I could feed from those inspiration and there's no way I could have come up with, with those. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, Cameron, ha- let's kind of transition a little bit to Madagascar 3 because I know you worked on that one as well. How was your workflow different from something, a movie like that where it's very cartoony and, and stylized? You mean how is it different to creature stuff? Is that what you just in general? How would you approach a shot like that? Is it reference heavy as well in those shots? Well, uh, it, it always depends on the shot. You know, I mean, it, it's that stupid thing that animators say. It always depends on the shot, but it really does. But I would say that yeah, you know, eighty percent of the work that I did on that show, I would start with reference, and and like I said before, it's mostly because that's where I figure out the idea of what I'm actually going to do you know, as well as use it as, as a springboard to animate from. But um, it just depends. Like I, I did one shot with, uh, which is kind of near the start of the movie, and there's uh, one of the monkey guys, Mason, and he's kind of screams through this window and he jumps back into a room and he swings around on a chandelier and he crashes into a mirror. And then um, uh, the other monkey, I forget his name, he puts like lipstick on his yeah. lips. Um <laughs> And, and that was kind of a nice little hybrid because, the, you know, the monkey screaming and stuff, I, I kind of shoot a bit of reference to myself doing that. <laughs> and then and then I even shot a reference to myself, you know, like with a little chapstick, putting lipstick on. But then there was a section in the middle that I had to make up. You know, how does a, how does a monkey turn around, jump on a chair, on a chandelier, swing around? And that, the way that I did that is I kind of, and it's an it's an interesting kind of technique that I I've used a couple of times up until then, but I I kind of I'm looking for this nice opportunity to do it again, and I do do it when I can do it. But I I just animated a cube, so I had you know a, a cube that was kind of roughly the size of the the monkey standing in the mirror in, in in the window, and I would kind of squash it down and then extend it and squash it and then move move it up onto the uh, chandelier spin it round and then kind of and uh, do the timing so so what i was doing was kind of thinking all right it's pretty complicated what's got to happen here so how can i make this monkey with all these limbs and all this stuff the simplest thing it can be like how like literally how can i make it into into a bouncing ball um and the cube thing was great because i, I could I could animate the cube, get the feeling of the timing, which was the core of what the audience would feel, just the, the timing of that and the comedic timing of it and the sense of weight. Um, and I could show that to people and say, does this feel right? Does it feel like it's spin around this many times? And would, would he do this many flips when he comes off before he crashes into the mirror and that kind of stuff? And then spatially, when I came to animate the actual monkey, I had a cube in the scene and I would literally just go through, like, you know, I say maybe four frames, set a key, go through the next four frames. Okay, here's the cube. Set my pose to work with the rough alignment of the cube. And then it was like this beautiful map that I built for myself to go to go through the shot. So 
I t- you know, I tend to do that now. I mean, um, any any time where I've got a complex emotion that I want to condense into something simple, I'll just animate a cube and just use it as a map for my timing. But um, coming back to your original question, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mad Three was was uh, a lot of you know, it, it was important for us to sell the acting in the shots. You know, that was what what was important for the directors and it was important for the animators to make sure that we were telling the story. Um, you know, creature stuff is, is uh, it is really story dependent, but as soon as you have a character that needs to speak, you know, give, deliver dialogue and do it in a certain way, it, it quickly becomes a lot more complicated and it becomes easier for you to go off course faster. So, I mean, the way the way that I would I would do that is I would shoot reference and I would actually show reference before I even put anything in in you know in in the software in 3D software. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that because you know I could I could do a number of takes, say maybe pull out three or four takes of a shot that I, of myself that I felt was working all right in the edit, um, and then take that to dailies and show that in dailies and. You know, there were there were times where I like I had to do the shot of Gia dancing <laughs> in this little kind of room, and she's kind of doing this super you know feminine dance, and she's like she's kind of she's kind of imagining her own fantasy. She wants to be this like trapeze artist, and she's she's in this little moment with herself, you know. And I had to get you know I had to go to dailies, and it was on up on the big screen and everything. <laughs> But you, you kind of reach this threshold, like the first couple of times you show references to embarrassing, but then you don't care because you, you come out of there with a really clear idea of whether your idea is whether it worked or not. And, it, and it's a, a really easy, efficient way for you to say, this is exactly what I'm thinking of doing, you know. Um, and then I would just kind of break it down into keyframe, show it as progressively as I could, right, until the shot was final. But, um, the, the thing that I always found fun about reference was just to, you know, more than anything was just so that I could figure out what I was going to do in the shot. And then when it came to using the reference to figure out how, the thing that I enjoyed the most was just kind of looking looking through the reference and looking for, you know, the three, four or five poses that would really kind of tell the story and give the intent of the shot or the, the gold, maybe the one golden pose that would do that. But I don't know if I ever found that. But um, you know, just just as reflecting on what what Larry was mentioning about, you know, how far how far you use reference and and what Dave was saying about the trap of maybe kind of you know going too much on your reference or, or not enough. Um, I always found that was was really useful because you could you'll always find you know a, a, just one one or two poses that will really kind of make you want to go and animate the shot basically because that you feel like you know you captured the intent of what it is you're trying to sell and i know that i always just found that really nice like with the, with the stoic stuff um just going through and finding these poses where you know all, all i was doing was kind of running down a little bank in the pdi car park trying to you know pretending to swing a an axe and a shield but when i stepped through the reference there were these really kind of you know, kind of pushed and twisted poses that my my own body was doing. You know, like like my my legs would hyperextend and like I'd I'd anticipate a swing, and you know, just to 
the kind of things that I would never have thought of. And it was really fun for me to find those and to, to block those out first and show people those in steps. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I want to definitely kind of transition from reference, but I want to get David, you'd mentioned that you were at India working on Madagascar three. Can you give us a little bit of kind of background on that, how that worked out for you? And... Um, yeah, at the time I was already on, uh, on cruise and I, I wasn't a character leader at that time. I was just an um, uh, animator just, that just happened to do a lot of creature animation because I kind of enjoyed it and uh, I think the, the results were pretty um, uh, interesting there. And um, actually the backstory of that, I think they had in mind that I could maybe go in India for uh, being a supervisor on the Penguins of Madagascar, which was the first full-length production that we'd do, they would do entirely um, in DreamWorks India over there. Um, of, this is something that quite interested me. You know, India is always a country that uh, I really love the, 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 the culture and a lot of things about it. Um, and have the, the the amazing opportunity to maybe be able to to go there and supervise. So that was quite of an interesting idea. So they just kind of you know shipped me over there for two <laughs> months just, just to have a taste uh, of the country. And at the same time, the the the, the studio there was working. Um, on some sequence of uh, Madagascar tree, so I just end up going there and you know help them a little bit. That's uh, that's when I worked for I think it was two months, and uh, and I really landed in the middle of crunch time at the end. Uh, I think that was the last two months of production. So. It was a bit brutal at first to, uh, you know, uh, uh, different country, different pipeline, different team, different style of animation. Because, you know, although uh, Crudes uh, is not hyper-realistic, when you go to uh, a style like Madagascar, it's much more uh, pose-to-pose and really cartoony. Um, maybe not as much as the first one, because, you know, the style evolved within the franchise. But... Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot to, to uh, it was really different from, uh, from, from the crudes. Um, so I got there uh, for, for two months, did some uh, crazy hours with the rest of the team. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the people over there were so friendly and welcoming uh, as well. And they were good to um, uh, have an open mind for my inputs uh, and everything. So, um, yeah, it was just a great opportunity for me to go there i ended up for a personal reason decide to not move to india for uh two or three years and at the time especially having very young kids kind of play a little bit in the um in the yeah. decision uh but that kind of gave me a little bit the taste of a much more cartoony style and at the same time uh, i saw a lot of people over there still shooting reference as well so whatever the, the style and comes back to what cameron said sometime even if you're your end, the end result of your animation might not look at all like a reference. It's still just a, a good way to come up with ideas. And then we're like, oh, that's actually a really good idea in my reference, but the character I'm going to animate as the proportion is nowhere near mine and the timing is going to be completely different and my posing is going to be different and the staging is going to be different. But at least you have an idea of, oh, this timing was interesting and this little behavior there. So you were able to kind of incorporate some of those in there. So, yeah, I would say overall it was an amazing opportunity to do, to work over there. And it's actually when I came back after that, that, you know, I learned that Fred, Fred Nielsen had moved to another production and I had the opportunity to, to move on with 
more creature stuff. And actually, maybe my, the, the fact that I was really com uh, comfortable and really happy on cruise and that the opportunity to work on some crazy creatures and really fun stuff, maybe that played a little bit in the decision uh, as well to, to not commit for another, another project because on cruise, this is most probably the best uh, experience I had on a production and the team there was a really, really good vibe there that you don't find on all of production and working with uh, Chris Sanders and, and Jim Baxter mm -hmm. as well. Uh, the, one of the best things they did is to really give the ownership of, of the work in the hands of the animators. And this mm -hmm. is something that you're really uh, that really helps uh, to, to be motivated and inspired as well. Uh, I've seen other production in other studio that, you know, it was pretty much the director telling you, you're going to do exactly this, 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 and this, and you were just going there and do this, this, and this. It was not like, you know, this is your little sandbox. Uh, this is the world that you're working on. Now go in the wild and bring back, you know, some mm. crazy entertaining animation. This is, this is most of the time what's going to, you know, inspire you the, 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 the most. So that's funny because yeah. uh, both Jason and Mike in our, previous podcast mentioned that this was probably by far their the one of their most favorite shows to have worked on because of the same reasons mm -hmm. yeah this is yeah, it's uh, a similar I, thing larry as well for um you know everyone everyone that worked on dragons with chris and dean that those guys and simon you know simon otto those guys are just so trusting of the animators and just you know this the sense of not ownership it's not the right word but just the sense of um ownership <laughs> you know over over shots and stuff that the animators had it's just, it, yeah it, it was really good and unfortunately it's kind of a rare magic you know but if you just listening to what what dave's been saying i i, I would have loved to have worked on crude specifically and you know it, it just it just sounds great and and I think it really comes from the confidence that, you know, obviously James Baxter be, being, uh, you know, a legend in, in animation and uh, Chris Sanders obviously has a very strong background as well. You know, when, when people are confident in, in, in what they're, they're doing, uh, it seems that naturally they're going to give ownership to people around them because they don't feel that anyone really is a, a threat uh, in some way. So I don't know if it's closely related, but by experience, uh, I've seen that a lot of time. It was. Um, so, you know, and this is something, and I had the opportunity to work on, uh, with Jason and, and Mike Walling as well. And, you know, everybody, w when you have this kind of uh, very good vibe, it seems that, you know, anyone that's going to go uh, throw a, a comments out there is going to be welcome. Whether the animator is going to do it or not, it always depends. But, you know, you're never afraid to give your input and, and try to make things better. So when you can land in this kind of environment, a very creative environment, um, uh, it's great. And this is a little bit the, the opportunity to have right now in, in video game as well. It seemed that video game, even more than, than in feature, you know, if you want to take responsibility and have the ownership of this and this, it's a much more organic process as well. So it, it, it um, gives a lot of space for artists that wants to say, you know, this is what I, I can bring to the production this is my inspiration i'm gonna put it in there whether it's uh, character animation or creature animation or, or other stuff but this is something i'm finding now with my new experience in in, in gaming and it's um, um it's been a great so far for that i actually want to transition now to gaming here because i want to transition be able to talk about that portion of it but also kind of uh the 
evolution from what we're talking about in regards to reference now to motion capture. I, I know, Cameron, that you had mentioned that you're obviously using that now. And it's just kind of interesting. I wanted to get your guys' takes, both of you guys coming from a high-level feature film background to now working on something like video games where you're using motion capture. What's your guys' take on that? How have you enjoyed it and, and using it? Um, I think the the thing that is great about it is you can – you, you you know you you got to kind of take you got to kind of take what you get from it i guess you know it's like you you can look at it in two ways you can, you can look at it as this you know this ultimate i'm going to give you everything kind of free animation and you can look at it as a medium in which to help you experiment with an idea so for you know example if you're if you're uh doing some kind of short film or or something like that or previsioning something it's it's the perfect thing to quickly get content, you know, inside a 3D camera and, and shoot different ideas and shoot different takes and figure out what what you want to do for something before you spend, you know, hours upon hours upon hours animating something. Um, and, and and obviously, I mean, it's, you know, it's not like this conversation hasn't ha- hasn't happened before. There's some things that it's really good for, you know, if you if you want super realistic human motion, then you are going to get that pretty much straight out of the box with mocap but the thing the thing that i find ex- exciting about it is you know coming back to what richard Lico said in a previous podcast you know it's this it's this wonderful tool for you know studying your own motion and 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 things like that but also just as uh, you know as a tool for quickly a- allowing you to experiment with ideas i think that's the most from my limited experience of it so far, that's the thing that I find the most exciting. And I think the way that uh, I've been trying to use it so far, and we'll, we're still trying to, to find some recipe with it, uh, like Cameron said, if you just take the, the, the data, uh, the mocap data is going to look something super realistic, which can work from some production, but not for others. Um and it's based most probably from my experience from future, but uh, for now I'm using uh, mocap a lot like I would use a reference. Uh, mm-hmm. When I use a reference, I'm not going to copy, you know, frame by frame. That's called rotoscopy, and that might be okay for some production, but not on the production that I had the opportunity to work on at DreamWorks. So uh, a lot of time I would uh, take the data, the mocap data that we have, and I would just say, okay, this is a key pose, this is a key pose, this is a key pose here and here mm-hmm. and here, and I would kind of just get rid of all the extra data that I have in the middle. So it's pretty much like, instead of having a reference and say, okay, those are my, those are my gold pose, and then I'm going to reproduce them uh, with the character, the CG character that I have, I already have those poses in there. I just have to find them and uh, kind of clean all of the rest so it's much more effective than mm-hmm. doing just a keyframe. And then I would go on each of those poses and, and push them and uh, make them a little more dynamic. And I'm going to tweak some of the, uh, of the timing in there. And then I'm going to layer on top of this new blocking that I have extracted from my mocap. Uh, so the end result is really interesting because you have something that is much more stylized than mocap. And at the same time, you 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 got that uh, that first blocking pass much more rapidly uh, than you know full keyframe animation. And uh, so there's different, uh, obviously many different techniques. You can as well just layer on top of your mocap, and maybe you could get some of the similar 
result as well. And another thing as mocap for in terms of productivity, um, when you're thinking, uh, obviously as a director now, I have to think at the entire team and make sure that you know everybody is is kind of. Um, uh, animating a little bit the the the, the same style and um, um, the same quality as well. So the, the mocap is going to give you some kind of a bottom quality. Uh, so you know, junior animators at the uh, very least will have this uh, raw data that will look very realistic, and then great animators will be able to take that and bring it really bring it to the other level uh, as well something that doesn't really look like mocap anymore that is much more uh, dynamic impactful and visceral as a motion so you know uh, in terms of the tool you can really take it it for me it's it, it's just another tool uh, depending you know obviously if you're working for something really realistic you might take it just take it right away and put it in your games or in your uh, movie, but you can use it as a very powerful artistic tool as well. Hmm. Cameron, going from features to games, this is kind of a two-part question then. What do you enjoy most going from features to games? And then what do you miss in the games that you were able to do from features? So I guess pros and cons. Yeah, um, I think you have to understand that even though you know you could you can be an animator on a feature film and you can be an animator on a video game production you're really talking about two completely different things you know that what what's very common is for people to compare the two things and what what people are looking at is the common strain of of animation and like you know yeah you you, you can animate on a feature you can anim animate for games but your job on either of those things is is you know so different you could say they're completely different my what i what i loved about feature animation was it really gave me the chance to just sit inside and just completely indulge myself in what i really loved doing which was animating you know i could i could take a character and just completely go to town with the last little you know, eyelash of detail. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not joking. You would animate eyelashes, right? <laughs> and and you would animate size of <laughs> of pupils and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but with with games, it's it. You know, it, it's it's not to say that those things aren't important if you had the ability to do that. But it's likely that you you probably won't. It's more about the the game and remembering that you know that the people that are interacting with what you're creating they're viewing it in a completely different format they're not sitting in a theater watching a suspending their disbelief and just basically letting it all hang loose for an hour and a half and not having to do anything they're they're signing up for you know that they're committing to interacting with what you're doing and experiencing what you're doing in a way where you know they don't necessarily want to see the same thing twice they want to see your animation but they want it to work differently in this scenario and differently in that scenario. And to, you know, they, they want your animation to convey to them what they did in the world, what their choices, not the choices of the, the character in a movie. Um, so the, cha the, the challenges are just, they're so different. They're kind of n not worth comparing, but, um, and, and game development is this amazing kind of hub of activity that Dave touched upon. You know, there's just so many. It, from from my experience, you know, if you're if you're a 3D artist or an animator or whatever your specialism, gaming is great 
for giving you the opportunity to just kind of interact a lot more directly with people from from other parts of the production like you know the engineers the concept guys the sound guys you know the composers um film is just because it's been around for so long all that stuff's become like crazy disciplined and super specialized um you know and and that in itself is a great thing for creating that kind of thing but for games it seems to lend itself a lot more to this kind of bubbling pot of ideas because you know games are so they're so young they're so in their infancy no one really knows how to make one properly yet you know everybody everybody thinks they do but i don't know if anybody really does you know it's and they're constantly changing you know it's it's a difficult thing no it's interesting it's basically trying to achieve the same thing i.e entertain the audience in this sense but you're doing it in a completely different way because of the type of medium and so i think that's that's a great point Yeah, and you know the, the the kind of the kind of things that you're trying to tell to the audience are completely different problems. You know, you're not you're not trying to necessarily convey a really clear subtext on what a character's thinking. You're you're trying to just just convey really clearly, you know, that this this action will progress your movement or this action will give you this reward. You know, it's it's, it's totally different, and it's and one is not easier than the other you know one one is not more difficult and one is not they're just different different things apples to oranges it really is that's cool what about you david uh yeah just come back to something that cameron said and for me it was kind of a surprise because when you've been in the movie industry for that many years you're used that you know uh everybody has more or less the same workflow and you know exactly how everything is going to be produced uh it's pretty much you start with the story and then you record the voice and you do the storyboards and then we get the layout and we animate it and then we put this in the lighter's hands and at some point you'll have a movie uh it seems that the video game it's much more organic it's almost like everybody so instead of you know um it's really almost like everybody starts to run at the same time you look around you and everybody is is running and progressing and we all know that in three years from now when we're going to be done with the game we will we we all have to cross the finish line at the same time uh literally sometime two weeks before the end the game is broken and you know it's just totally <laughs> yeah. not working and then the final tweak so it, it's um it's kind of a different and i think it's really comes from this fact that uh, if you're really committed and you want to you know have effect on other department the, the, than yours uh, this very organic process is going to allow some personalities to to stand out more than uh, than others and uh, same thing as Cameron said. It seems that it's a it's an industry that is still in its infancy, and I'm I, I'm working with people that have more than 15 years of experience in gaming, and we're still trying to um, work on what would be the perfect uh, workflow and pipeline for. And I'm sitting in meeting, and sometimes like, you guys did how many games before, and we're still trying to figure out this. But yeah, technology <laughs> is is progressing like yeah. crazy. There's new techniques. There we have to adapt. There's a new generation of a console that arrives. You have to adapt to that. Uh, you know, the marketplace is changing. Uh, there's a lot that goes to mobile now. You sometimes you don't just you know. Um, 
uh, release one uh, big game, but you might release them as a episodic um, game. So it's a different. So there's a lot of things that is still. And for me, it was very refreshing that see to see that. Wow. Okay, we're we're in a very big industry, but it, it's an industry that is evolving. Uh, mm -hmm. So there is some input that I can bring from 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 features yeah. as well in there. Uh, so yeah, it's a very very interesting yeah. <laughs> experience so far for that. It just depends on you know the kind of thing you want to do you know if you if you want if if you really just love 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 beyond anything just the you know the process and and the thought and the, and the creativity behind animation then you know feature films is great for that but if you if you want to be part of crafting you know more of an overall experience and and I suppose fairly you could say, you know, being a lot more collaborative with artists and different kinds of people around you and, you know, being part of something which is in its infancy and, and you know, developing at such a crazy, exciting rate and actually figuring something out that maybe is completely new then games is just it's great for that it's really good yeah and there, there is some sense of discovery as you're going along as well even with people that have a lot of experience in this field and even just in terms of the different kind of character that you can animate there's obviously a lot of creature that you can animate in games a lot yeah. of animal a lot of and so many different style uh, as well uh, we tend to think that you know what are the big blockbuster well you have the assassin's creed and the, you have the battlefield and stuff those can be some pretty realistic and uh, heavily uh, rely on motion capture, but there are so many different kind of game that can have a lot of keyframe animation and crazy creatures and, and all of that. Uh, there's there's a sense of discovery that I didn't feel in features uh, mm -hmm. for a long time. I was kind of discovering uh, right now in, in games as well. So it's uh, it's really really it's really interesting for now. Yeah, um, Cameron, is there anything that you can talk to us about on your game that you're working on, or not at this point? Um, yeah, I don't want to be weird, Larry, but I can't, man. I can't, no, no, I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Gotcha. That's yeah, why I asked. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's one thing that I learned in video game, because I, I cannot talk about the, the game I'm working on either. It's There is a lot of secrecy in the yeah. video game. Even just a few months, <laughs> it seems, sometimes yeah. before the release. And this is something, I mean, I would bring friends at DreamWorks, and I would show them the concept art for movies that's going to be released in 2018 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 and then, but uh, I can't even mention what kind of game I'm doing, not even yeah. mentioning any title or details. It's, uh, I yet have to know exactly why that is, why one industry is completely different to the other, but that's a reality that we have to yeah. deal with. Um, and, you know, that's, that's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, we're actually going to cut this podcast now. Then, no, just kidding. <laughs> that's that's where you're going to scratch the record. And okay, yeah. that, that's it. <laughs> no, that sounds cool. And I I definitely understand that. That's why I was uh, at least cautious in asking. But hey, you got to at least go out swinging, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Good try. <laughs> Anything you guys want to plug while we got you here wrapping this up, David? You want to tell us any more about the uh, new workshop that Rick introduced us at the beginning of the podcast? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, you know, there's uh, there's so much we want to share with uh, our students. Our first workshop actually ended up being really dense with information, and we wanted to give even more information and, and knowledge to, to the students. So we actually decided to split the first workshop into two different parts, which uh, became workshop one and workshop two. 
Um, at the same time, we actually received increasing demand for more creature animation training. You know, realistic biped animation are often uh, dealt with motion capture in the history, but creature animation will always remain keyframe animation, right? And, you know, even if there's a lot of fun we can have with mocap, uh, when it's used in a clever and artistic way, full keyframe animation will remain uh, what most animator, uh, animators actually aspire to to work on. At the same time, we we also partnership with amazing artists like uh, Cedric Seo. By the way, you should check out his stuff online. is is just amazing. And he brought various aspiring new characters and creatures to to Iron Mate. We have Redback, which is a quadruped creature. Uh, Kria, which seems to came come straight out of hell or Resident Evil kind of game. Um, and now we've just added Soul Collector, which um, Honestly, I don't really know what he actually is, uh, but this this guy actually has another creature hidden on his back, and he has huge dragon wings, and you know he's he's pretty awesome. So we've actually decided to in integrate a great deal of creature animation training in the uh, in those uh, in assignment as well in this new workshop for the benefits of our students. And what me and Rick are really excited about. Uh, is a special formula that we decided to uh, go for with this workshop. So actually for the first time at iAnimate, multiple instructor will present lecture and give reviews during one workshop. Uh, uh, Rick uh, will teach the core of the workshop and focus on everything that is specific to game animation. Uh, and then we'll have special guest instructor, including myself, that will join in to give one or two class on very specific topics. On my part, uh, I worked a lot on creatures and the crew and I had the opportunity to be surrounded by so many great artists as well. So there's a lot of things uh, I learned and I, I applied on, uh, on that production. And this is all stuff that uh, I really want to share with the students as well. Then, like I said, we would have other special guests um, that will lecture on specific topics as well. So, for instance, flying cycles, quadruped locomotion, animal anatomy, how to deal with exaggerated proportion, weight, and so on and on. Uh, all topics, that I think, that has very valuable knowledge that needs to be deserved to be shared as well. Maybe one last thing about the uh, I want to mention about the, this workshop uh, for those that would be only interested into the uh, the creature animation part of the workshop um, uh, and not that much into video game. You know, like every workshop, you can enroll in this specific workshop and there's no need to commit to the entire program, right? Uh, so you'll have a great creature animation training in there. And at the same time, you'll have uh, a taste of the challenge of gaming animation. So, you know, kind of a win-win situation that you kind of learn a little bit of, about something that you, you don't really know and, and a lot about something that you really want to dig into. The new workshop is scheduled to start in September. Uh, and if you want any more information, you can go on our website and everything will be described in there if you want more information. But other than that, um, I think honestly, though, podcasts, uh, I'm really happy that I'm, I'm part of this one. I think that those podcasts are great and I've been listening to all of them so far. And each in each of those, there was little gold nuggets here and there <laughs> that I definitely took and said, ooh, I have to remember this little thing that, that this guest ju just said, because that's actually uh, really clever. So I just want to say you guys that you're doing a, an amazing job and carry yeah. on. Very cool. What about you, uh, Cameron? You got a website that we can plug at all or? Um, uh, I've got a rotting dinosaur of a website. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. It's there. It, I might water it one day. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. All right. Well, maybe I'll put it in the show notes and that way if somebody uh, in a year or so from now 
happens to stumble upon it, they can uh, at least check it out. Really quickly, Cameron's supposed to uh, to do something special for for us at iAnime Games, so I just want to remind him uh, that uh, I'll be coming for him. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how that's how we roll with with our with our team, you know. So <laughs> call you out on a podcast. It's public now. You can't back yeah, out. Yeah, you know, that's that's how that's how we roll with our buddies. You know, we're not nice with our buddies. You know, we're, we're professional with. With our with some of our guests, but when is our buddies? We just you know we just punch him out. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you've been pretty nice throughout this entire podcast. So, uh, I was waiting for the punch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's because this podcast there's so many amazing gold nuggets as you mm-hmm. would say. So I didn't want to, uh, to get in between uh, this great podcast. All right. Well, definitely appreciate it. We'll have to get you guys on again. Maybe we guys can talk about your game. So cheers and uh, appreciate your time. Great. Yeah, my my pleasure, guys. 